Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. This is the Progressive Commenter Hour. We're going to take on a topic today that is not being discussed in any objective or honest way in the mainstream media. What happens if a dirty bomb goes off somewhere in Ukraine and Russia is blamed for it? What will that mean? Now to my guest. Down in North Carolina is Ray McGovern. And Ray is here to talk about the escalation of the danger of nuclear threats in Ukraine and virtually the entire Western media, all of its major office holders, the State Department, the Defense Department, the National Security Agency, are saying that if anything happens, it's Russia creating uh, this, uh, this incident and then blaming it on Ukraine. Is that true? What proof do they offer outside of their opinions? Well, we have someone who has been around a long time, and it's now 60 years after the Cuban Missile Crisis, and that's Ray McGovern. For those of you who are not familiar with Ray, Ray served as an Army intelligence officer and a CIA analyst for 27 years under seven presidential administrations, from John F. Kennedy to George H.W. Uh, Bush. Now, among his duties was preparing the president's daily brief starting with Ronald Reagan administration. He was also responsible for the analysis of Soviet intelligence regarding Vietnam. Since leaving the CIA, Ray has been a vocal peace activist and journalist and helped create veteran intelligence professionals for sanity uh, to expose the way intelligence has falsified to justify war in Iraq and the Sad Adams Associates for Integrity and Intelligence. He also works for Tell the Word an ecumenical Catholic publishing house. Ray's opinion pieces appear in many leading news sources. And by the way, he holds degrees in theology and philosophy from Fordham University and also an M master's degree in Russian history. He's a graduate of Harvard's Business School, and he is also a theologian from Georgetown University, where he got his training. His website is raymcgovern.com. And more of his writings can be found in antiwar.com, Sheer Post, Consortium News, Covert Action Magazine, etc. Nice to have you with us today, Ray. Thank you, Gary. Ray, there's been an escalation of concern about the Ukrainian conflict developing into a nuclear exchange between Russia and the West, notably the United States, which controls NATO. And as you have noted in your previous writings, uh, it is this week, 61 years ago, that the Cuban Missile Crisis occurred, and we'll talk about that briefly and what we learned from that, but also we now have this new crisis unfolding in Ukraine. However, just this past weekend, we are hearing conflicting reports about Zelensky's regime developing or having already created a dirty bomb. Now, we haven't heard the dirty bomb uh, raised since 9-11, where a bomb is in a suitcase easily smuggable, and yet it won't destroy a whole country, but it sure will make the immediate area of any city that it goes off in uninhabitable and will take a lot of people's lives in the process. So that's bad enough, especially at a time when the United States is already talking about putting troops on the boots on the ground in American boots in Ukraine. The president actually is, has suggested that now we have uh, Russia's Minister of Defense, uh, Shogu uh, General, calling Biden's Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, and a couple 
our conversation, he also called the defense ministers of the United Kingdom, Ben Wallace, of France and Turkey, for the purpose of raising Russia's concerns about Ukraine's intention to plant or launch a dirty bomb, perhaps as a false flag operation in order to blame Russia. Russia claims it has sound intelligence about Zelensky's plan. We don't know what that is because there's no details about their conversations. However, when was the last time you have ever heard of the head of Russian and defense talking with four of the world's major uh, defense organizations, the heads of them, and saying, there's a problem, let's find out what this is about. Especially as we know that Zelensky has had false flags in his own country, and Zelensky has also supported the neo-Nazi uh, Azov Brigade. And something that, I'd, if you have time, please mention it. But why is it there's not a single newspaper or single radio on NPR or PBS or the New York Times, no one has made a feature investigative story out of the fact that Gloria Newland, under Secretary of State and head of the uh, Ukrainian in that area of the world's uh, operations from the State Department, was caught on tape planning with the ambassador to Ukraine a regime change. It's estimated that cost over $5 billion and put their people in place of the democratically elected president of Ukraine. And all that that occurred after that, because since that time, Ukrainian armed forces, including the Azov, have killed an estimated minimally 14,000 citizens who live in the Donsbath region who are principally, though they're Ukrainians, they speak and, and live a life as if they were in Russia. And not a single complaint about this, that we have a coup, a coup that's not theoretical, that actually occurred, that precipitated a lot of what we're seeing today, the control of Ukraine. Also, this same Gloria Newland, inadvertently, I'm sure, uh, let a in a uh, in a Senate um, hearing, I believe it was Senate, it was either the Senate or the House, that, yes, we have, I think she said 23, more or less, biological labs in Ukraine. First of all, we didn't know this. Why didn't we know this? Why isn't this important? Why, of all the countries in the world, would the United States choose to take the most corrupt government in, the, in that part of Europe and put very sensitive gain-of-function or biological weapons factories all over the country? How many other countries are these in, or even in the United States? And yet we were told, oh, there's no gain-of-function going on anywhere, according to Anthony Fauci. We don't fund that. That turned out to be a lie. But those are not stories at all. And, and I am amazed that no one has decided, let's look a little deeper and see what role the United States played in this proxy war. That said, we're just going to introduce now uh, a short clip that this is the only source I could find that is credible, uh, Internet platform, that actually began to talk about this this week. And this is just from earlier uh, last night. Let's go to the clip in Russia over the weekend and because all of this is tied together guys like you, you can't really you cannot separate you cannot separate what's going on in Russia from what's going on in China 
You can't do any of that right now. It's all the same. So this weekend, Russia started warning that Ukraine was about to use a dirty nuclear bomb inside of Ukraine. And they would try to pretend that Russia did it. This was the argument, right? A false flag operation. A, a dirty bomb, of course, is an explosive device that dis, you know, basically disperses radioactive material once it's detonated. Um, and uh, Yahoo, News, Yahoo News even confirmed it. Plenty of news organizations confirming this story. Journalist, though, John Mark Dugan, who first reported on this back on October 15th. Now, along with Russell Texas Bentley, they've been sounding the alarm on this story. Now, I watched it when he broke this story back in October, and he reported a few weeks ago that Russia had discovered a tactical nuclear device inside of Ukraine at the airport. Now, I want you to listen to Russell, okay, journalist, and who has some pretty interesting things to say from his sources on exactly what they found. Again, this was October 15th when this story first broke. Watch. A lot of people don't know about. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, we got some information uh, from a reliable source, uh, Spetsnaz uh, Ratveshka, like intelligence guy, uh, on the way up here about uh, why the um, Gostomel Airport was one of the first targets in the beginning of the Operation Z mm -hmm. that was taken over by the VDV. Uh, apparently, there was an airplane there. Well, hold on, because uh, most people don't actually know what that is. So okay. when was this? Okay, this was in uh, the end of February of this year. Okay. The beginning of the uh, Operation Z when the Russians uh, finally actually did come in. Of course, the war started eight years ago, but... Uh, the Russians were not in actual, you know, military formations here until the beginning of uh, 2022. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of their first uh, targets that they took over was the Gostomel Airport. Okay. Uh, it's, um, it was a, um, an airport that had uh, military uh, airplanes there, and one of them, it, we were told last night had a, uh, a dirty bomb, a, a nuclear weapon. Mm -hmm. It was on a plane called uh, Miraz, which means dream in Ukrainian. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, it was ready to go. Okay. That was one of the first things that the Russians took over to prevent the Ukrainians from using it. Wow. So there it is. That was the first that was when we first learned about this. Now, unclear at this hour whether or not it, you know if it's the same one because it sounds like it's it's a different one. Like they've tried it again because the first one was under Russian control. They got control of it and I didn't hear much about it. I didn't hear th at the time Russia sounding the alarm to the International Atomic Energy Agency, but now they are today around this latest dirty bomb story. So to his credit, they were the only ones, John Mark Dugan and Russell Bentley, they were the only ones sounding the alarm on this story. And I was watching to see it develop. And boy, did it develop overnight. Russia now warning the world about what Ukraine is up to with this. Of course, the West is saying, no, no, this is just Russia lying. Of course, this has nothing to do with Ukraine. It's Russia doing this once again, just like just like how the Russians blew up their own Nord Stream pipeline, right? If you fall for that phony propaganda, then you're part of the problem. So here's Sergei Lavrov today on this new Ukrainian dirty bomb story. Watch. Information, 
обладают технологиями, позволяющими соорудить вот эту самую грязную бомбу. У нас есть информация, которую мы передали по соответствующим каналам, о том, что это не пустое подозрение, что здесь есть серьезные основания полагать, что подобные, подобные вещи могут планироваться. С некоторыми из своих собеседников Сергей Шойгу договорился о проведении дополнительных консультаций на эту тему на профессиональном уровне. So to our non-Russian speaking audience, which is most of you, since we're waiting for the media reaction to this, um, and this is, not a, this is not some sort of phony suspicion, this is not reckless support, um, and this is, uh, the, you know, this is again russophobic actions. Um, but the story being that, of course, they are, in fact, this is legitimate. Hello. This is real. And now we know this afternoon, Russia will send a letter to the United Nations Security Council uh, and the Secretary General in connection with this provocation. And basically saying they, they've now invited the IAEA to come and investigate, according to Zero Hedge this afternoon. Here's Zero Hedge reporting. Uh, following in Russia's initial major Hello. weekend accusation. Yes. Okay, Ray, that was just a little bit of a report, but you will not see this discussed in any of the major media. Let's start with your concerns about what is happening now and what you see the likely scenario being since we almost never receive honest or accurate or objective information from any of our government sources. The uh, information on the dirty bomb that they found when Russia first entered the country of Ukraine at a military airport, there was a, mm -hmm. in effect, a su okay. suitcase bomb. And that was independently mm -hmm. confirmed and they broke the story, but no one took the story. Meaning yeah. there was, a, nobody would say that Ukraine in their own military airport had a suitcase dirty bomb and that was in february now the other person was the uh, was the foreign minister of ukraine who was simply saying that we've asked the united nations we've asked uh, all the different countries to become involved in this because we have irrefutable proof intelligence sources that this is not the only situation we have found other situations of dirty bombs and we want the International Atomic Energy Commission to come in and do their investigations on this uh, so that people see that our information is serious, it's not made up, mm -hmm. and we're putting it all out there. That's what was said yeah. in that, oh, in good. that short clip. Now, this uh, foreign minister spoke uh, just today. Is that correct? Yesterday. Yeah. Oh, yesterday. Okay. I'm familiar with that. Yeah. Uh, well, let's uh, continue on here. I'm... Uh, uh, I'm happy to address the uh, dirty bomb business first. Um, you know, it's not so hard to create a dirty bomb. Uh, it is a very dangerous thing to create. And for the Russians to be warning at the level of the Minister of Defense and also their equivalent to the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and saying this is likely to happen. Uh, this is unprecedented. Now, <laughs> one advantage I have with my gray hair is that I've been at this for half a century and more. I have not seen the Russian Minister of Defense call these four, <laughs> four NATO allies all at once saying, look, we have evidence that this is happening. Now, the latest report I saw 
said that the, the Russians were uh, intending to surface this evidence to say chapter and verse at the UN Security Council. And that was uh, a couple hours ago, scheduled for today. So here is the Ukrainian foreign minister saying, no, 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 uh, we're, we're going to ask the IAEA to come in and take a look. Now, what people need to realize is that the IAEA, I'm sorry to say, but like the rest of the UN, is under Washington's heel. Why do I say that? Well, when by mutual agreement, the Ukrainians and the Russians let, let a IAEN delegation into Zaporozhye, the biggest nuclear power plant in Europe, it was about six weeks ago, if memory serves, uh, they came in only under Russian protection from the shelling that was going on, and they were not able given the political sensitivities, they weren't able to say, oh, it's coming, it's coming from the other side of the river. <laughs> it's coming from Ukraine. Shelled as they were, they couldn't say that. And so the head of the IAEA is really circumscribed by what he is told to say or not say by the Secretary General Gutierrez, who in turn is under Washington's thumb. Now, that's a really dangerous situation. Um, you know, one thinks back at Iraq. Now, there was a very gutsy head of the IAEA. By the way, if I haven't spelled it out, it's the International Atomic Energy Agency. It goes back decades. Uh, his name was El-Baradai. He was Egyptian, <laughs> but he was independent. And when all these similar reports came in, uh, not about dirty bombs, but about uh, about uranium from deepest, darkest Africa coming into Iraq to what? Create a dirty bomb? No, no, real, real bombs. All these things were surfacing. And before the U.S. invasion, El Baradai got up before the Security Council and he said, uh, these reports of yellow cake uranium are not authentic. We were able to find that out in 24 hours. <laughs> it was a forgery, for God's sake, okay? So my point is simply this. Ibaradai was replaced by a fellow named Amano, a, a Japanese diplomat. And uh, you don't have to believe McGovern on this. WikiLeaks released some cables showing that Amano was very, very appreciative, writing back to U.S. diplomats, thank you so much for getting me in this job. And by the way, my office is pretty shabby. I need some more drapes and some more, but would you, would you send a few more thousand dollars? That's in black and white. Those are cables that the U.S. received from Amano. And since then, it has gone down. In other words, for the Ukrainian foreign minister to call on the IAEA, itself a creature of Gutierrez and by extension, the United States and NATO. It's a mockery if people know what the real situation is. Now, how about the dirty bomb itself? Well, you know, uh, Scott Ritter has a piece up this morning on Consortium News, and he talks about, uh, you know, the the heads of, of, the, of the Soviet Union and Russia uh, now 
Uh, don't make these charges blithely. As I think I mentioned, they're ready to present them to the UN, but I don't know who's chairing this Security Council. Last time this kind of thing happened, when they found multiple U.S. biological laboratories near the Russian border in Ukraine, the U.K., the British, were in charge of the Security Council and did not allow the evidence to be presented as soon as it was was supposed to be presented and kind of fudged it in the end. So this U.N. Uh, chapter is not very lucrative. It's not going to help much. Now, what about the phone calls? Well, I think the Russians are planning to make sure that if uh, I, I take them seriously, OK, I take the fact that the Russians have this evidence seriously and the fact that, uh, you know, if it turns out uh, that the proper people lean on Zelensky and say, look, you know, are the Russians right about this and tell them to knock it off. Well, then there could be there could be a dirty bomb and it could be that the Ukrainians are responsible and blamed on the Russian as on the Russians as everything else is blamed on the Russians. Uh, then Russia would be on record as having provided due warning that this was going to happen. I hope it doesn't happen. Now, that depends on who's controlling Zelensky. Now, we know that a series of indignities has happened. We know that uh, the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipeline uh, delivering gas from Russia to Germany and the rest of Europe was sabotaged. Uh, the old or the previous CIA director, John Brennan, and everybody else in the media says it was the Russians. So we were asked to believe that the Russians sabotage their own pipeline. Now, later, a couple of weeks later, when the bridge connecting Russia proper and, and Crimea was sabotaged, uh, it was a little bit of a too much of a stretch for the U.S. to blame Russia for sabotaging its own bridge. Now, the U.S. has not said word one about that major terrorist incident. Now, what does that tell you? Okay. Now, I don't believe that the Russians did that. As a matter of fact, one wag uh, kind of uh, summed it up. Do I have it here? Yeah. He says, uh, you know, it, it was a stretch uh, when we said that the U.S. said that Russia uh, sabotaged its own pipelines. Um, it's a little bit hard to believe that they did the bridges well, but you know, you never know. The, U, the, the EU has sabotaged its own economic livelihood. Uh, welcome, go Russia, <laughs> says this guy. So on a more serious, more serious note, this is really, really serious and needs to be taken account of. The New York Times today, big, big article, uh, lead author is uh, David Sanger. I had it here for a second. Can't relocate it right now, but I know what he said. He said, well, this is probably a false flag attack that the Russians are preparing against the Ukrainians. Now, what kind of record for credulity does David Sanger, the premier guy for the New York Times National Security? Well, uh, on at the end of July of 2002, 
as people were revving up to attack Iraq without any good reason at all, uh, the uh, the administration told the British that the attack is on. We're going to blame it on on <laughs> Iraq's having weapons of mass destruction. What happened a week later? Well, David Sanger, no fewer than seven times, reported the existence of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq as flat fact. Okay, so that's his record. When it became known on May 1st, 2005, that the British had been briefed by George Tenet, head of the CIA, and warned that this is exactly what Bush was going to do, attack, and it would be justified by the existence of mass, justified in quotes, by the existence of weapons of mass destruction, Sanger waited six weeks, and then he wrote, aha, this memorandum shows that the U.S. and the British had not yet decided to, <laughs> to attack Iraq. So Sanger's, Sanger's uh, role here is very mischievous because, you know, I know I'm from New York, right? I know that people still believe in what the New York Times says. Now, one other thing before I, I, I dismiss these charges. Um, does Zelensky do these things by himself? Well, <laughs> Zelensky did not have the power to blow up Nord Stream 1 and 2. Uh, he may have been assisted in blowing up the Kerch Bridge. We pretty much know that he assassinated Dubina's daughter way back two months ago. Uh, would he be able to do this without blessing from Washington and the UK? Uh, that's an open question. With the assassination of Dubina, uh, the CIA leaked a report to the New York Times, as usual, and said, you know, we didn't know anything about this. Uh, sometimes the Ukrainians just do these things. We, we didn't know anything about the assassination. I saw that then, and I still see it now, as a sort of preemptive, uh, preemptive uh, case of uh, not having not having witness or not having knowledge of what the Ukrainian is going to do, uh, kind of, uh, what do they call it, a disavowal. Uh, I'll find the, the term in just a second. Anyhow, um, did they know about um, the blowing up of the pipelines? Of course they did. <laughs> I mean, every time uh, somebody that goes on TV, mainstream TV, and says, well, you know, there were helicopters flying around, there was NATO involved, you know, they get cut off, okay? So it is virtually certain, in my view, that the U.S. had a major hand in blowing up those pipelines. On the Kerch Bridge, I think there was support there. What I'm saying here is that all these, uh, all these uh, uh, threats and all these terrorist acts, let's call them what they are, uh, kind of mounted up. And actually, just two weeks ago, uh, Putin... He, he's speaking before the Security Council of the Russian Federation. And he says, you know, the Ukrainian intelligence services, now get this, have staged three terrorist attacks against Kursk, the Kursk nuclear power plant. Now, this facility is, is 
right on the, the bank of a river, about 40 kilometers west of the city of Kursk. And those of you who know that something about World War II remember the incredible tank battles at Kursk where the Nazis were finally driven back. So what's this mean? This means that Putin himself, and this is not the first time he accused the Ukrainian services of doing this, uh, he is accusing the Ukrainians of trying to blow up or harm or let the let that acrid fuel, those pools of nuclear waste, uh, be dispensed in Russia, like Kursk, you know, 40 kilometers inside Russia or more. So this is getting very serious. And the last thing I'll say here is to put some background on this. Uh, hold on to your hats, folks, because those of you who listen to the mainstream media will find this quite shocking. But Ukraine is not winning. Ukraine is losing. Russia is inevitably going to win. OK, now what's worrying Zelensky and the Biden folks at this point in time? Well, the midterms. I mean, you have people like uh, McCarthy. Uh, House Speaker, the almost House Speaker, saying, you know, maybe we, you know, maybe we have better uses for the money we're giving Ukraine. You have just two days ago, 30, 30, 30 House members, Democrats, House members, uh, saying, you know, um, maybe we should be looking at this again. Maybe, maybe, Mr. Biden, you should talk to Mr. Putin. After all, you're going to be with him uh, in Indonesia in just a couple of weeks. So this is getting very tight for Biden with the midterms approaching with some of his own party, 30 members so far, and some of the Republicans saying, yeah, Ukraine, that's such a good idea. Something has to be done. Now, if they represent uh, the uh, dirty bomb that goes off, let's say, in a couple of days as a Russian if they blame it on the Russians like they blame everything else on the Russians, then they will have a pretext to widen the war. Then they will have a pretext to get in even deeper. And Gary, I fear for what that will mean, because here's the reality. Uh, what the U.S. and NATO have done in Ukraine represents an existential threat to Russia, an existential threat. When a superpower with nuclear weapons is presented with an existential threat. It reacts just the way, just the way John Kennedy reacted in 1962. This week is the exact 60th anniversary of that. When he reacted to the emplacement of medium range ballistic missiles in Cuba, just 90 miles off our shores, medium-range ballistic missiles with the range of hitting not only Washington, D.C., but Omaha, Nebraska, where our strategic air command was located. When he saw that, he reacted. Uh, did he do anything illegal? Well, actually, <laughs> yeah. He imposed the blockade, act of war, a blockade on Cuba. What else? Well, I know from personal experience, I was at Fort Benning at the time. All our weapons and most of our troops were down in Key West, ready to spring into Cuba. And last but not least, Kennedy threatened nuclear war over this. You're not supposed to do that under the UN Charter. 
So that's how Kennedy reacted. How does Putin react to the emplacement of medium-range ballistic missiles on the periphery of Russia the same way? So here's the bottom line. When you hear unprovoked, right, uh, Putin's invasion of Ukraine was unprovoked. That's a bald-faced lie. And there's a long history, you won't hear in the major media, but there's a long history in which I can prove that. So if it was not, if it was provoked, we have the same situation as we had in Cuba. Last thing here, uh, existential threat to the United States. Was it an existential threat to uh, Nikita Khrushchev, who sent those medium-range ballistic missiles into Cuba? No. So what did he do? He backed off. One difference between that and today is Khrushchev and all his advisors had experience in war, in World War II, every single one of them. Now, compare that with our situation with respect to Ukraine. Direct analogy, none, none, Biden, Sullivan, Lincoln, none of them have served in uniform. Uh, we used to criticize Cheney for having five deferments. So did Biden, okay? Biden, five deferments during, uh, during uh, Vietnam. So we have a situation where these people don't know a darn thing about war. We've never really experienced a war except in, on Pearl Harbor. And they're making decisions uh, that would have consequences for Putin who cannot back down because he expects me because he faces an existential threat and I can prove it. So what's that mean? Well, who has to back down? Who has to talk? That's the United States and NATO or else if this thing escalates even more, then we do face this kind of uh, uh, existential threat of the use of nuclear weapons. Right. I, I, Ray, I would appreciate it if you would address in brief ways, please, the following. Why is it that we refuse to acknowledge that we, the United States, uh, Hillary and Bill Clinton under Barack Obama's administration, created a coup to create a coup in a country to take out their democratically elected uh, president, which we did. And that's uh, that's a matter of fact and install our own people which we have done, and for whatever use, whatever the ulterior motive is, I cannot answer that. I can only say we did it. And as you know, to create a coup in another country, to have a complete regime change, as was happened, and then on top of that, to allow the rise in power, in power of the Azov, which is a neo-Nazi brigade with enormous influence all over the country of Ukraine, and not to have a single discussion about it, not to have a congressional investigation. And you know how many people and how many different agencies from the National Security Agency, the CIA, et cetera, Defense Department, Pentagon, all these people have to be involved in this. And yet we have yet to write, see a single expose, a single investigative report on this. And that tells me a lot about who to trust and who not to trust. That's one issue to address. Second one is, this may seem insignificant in comparison, and it is, to a dirty bomb. But it reminds me of when I was studying the history of World War II, what led up to it, what we learned from it, the people who participated in it, 
and how not to have that happen again in the early 1930s and escalating up to about 1936, what you would see is the Nazi party would take leading intellects, the Jewish almost always, or communists certainly, and they would tie them to poles. And then any citizen, and they would hang signs. This is a traitor. Uh, this person, you know, is against your rights and freedoms. And uh, they had the night of the broken glass where all the Jewish shops in Germany were were broken into, firebombed, etc. And yet you could beat these people with impunity. You could kick them, beat them. And that then showed how the good German, the 50 million Ameri uh, Germans who said, I didn't work in any concentration camp, yet you also didn't protest those who you knew who did. So you're complicit, and that's what the Nuremberg uh, doctrines have taught us. You can't stand by seeing a bad order uh, given and then go along with it and not be complicit in it. So now what, what do we see? All over the Internet. I mean, all over the Internet. I saw one that had 10 separate videos and one there must be at least a 1,000 of these out there. So it's not a secret. All over Ukraine, regular Ukrainians are, t are taped, literally duct taped to a light pole or telephone pole. Then they're frequently, their pants or dress is brought down to the ground. And then every citizen can go by and slug them, smack them, kick them. And you see people just walking down the street and suddenly, and a lot of them are, are the Ukrainian soldiers and taking their belts off and beating these people. But they put tape in their mouth or gag them or, and put tape on their mouth so you can't hear them scream. But they show close-ups to their eyes and you see the terror these people are in. And they're all ages. In one case, I just saw last night, two sisters who were uh, taped together on either side of a pole. And here's a woman walk up, and then this older woman just starts kicking them in the legs, in the shins, and the knees, stamping on them. Then you see a, a bunch of soldiers come up and take their belts off and start beating them. And, uh, and this is going on all over the country, everywhere. And yet not a single journalist in the United States has reported on this because that tells me what's happening in Ukraine. That's telling me what the government is allowing. That's telling me about censorship, a kill list with anyone who criticized Ukraine on a kill list. This is not a fictitious list. And uh, it tells me what kind of people in government and power that we're funding every day. And at the same time, we've given tens of billions of dollars. We haven't spent a penny on helping the homeless or the starving Americans, of which there are about 50 million in the United States. Do you think that it, we would have a different perspective of supporting Ukraine if every American had a chance to see Ukrainians killing, uh, tying up and bounding Russian soldiers and shooting them in the legs and then letting them bleed out? Mm -hmm. And they're uh, tying up all these citizens on a regular basis all over Ukraine and beating them and blowing up towns that they no longer had control over and blaming it on the Russians? Your thoughts, please. Well, Gary, let's start with the coup on the 22nd of February, 2014. Uh, it was the most blatant coup in the history of mankind. Uh, it was labeled so by some very respected uh, politicians and, and historians. Why? Because it was advertised two and a half weeks in advance on YouTube. <laughs> 
<laughs> the conversation between our Assistant Secretary of State for European Affairs, Victoria Nuland, and our ambassador in Kiev showed they were preparing for the coup. Name the people who would participate. Name the guy who was going to be the prime minister, Yats, for Yatsenyuk, and actually finished up saying, and we talked to Jake Sullivan, who at the time was a national security advisor for Joe Biden, vice president. And Joe Biden says he's ready to come in at the end for an international personage uh, to to solidify this to to nail it together so this was the most blatant coup in history when i mentioned that on amy goodman shortly after the the uh, <laughs> after the coup she had this fellow uh what's his name timothy snyder uh, a yale historian and uh, what he said was mcgovern uh what do you got on this coup and i said well i have this intercept it's been verified. Victoria Newland used the F word. and She apologized for it the next day. It's valid. And he says, well, is that all you got? Now, <laughs> McGovern didn't know who Timothy Snyder was before. He should have done some research. But my mouth was agape. And before I could say anything, uh, Amy Goodman moved on to the next subject. So... This is what happened on the 22nd of February, a direct, a direct confrontation with, uh, with Putin and Russia. And Russia, where was Putin? He was, in, he was in Sochi at the Winter Olympics. He came back the next day, convened his security council and said, hey, guys, what are we going to do? And the first item came up, of course, well, we're not going to let NATO um, Yatsenyuk had already said he's going to take care, he's going to put Ukraine in NATO. We're not going to let NATO take over our sole ice-free, all-weather, all-year naval base in Sevastopol. And so they choose, they, they seized uh, Crimea. So that's the situation. Nobody mentions that in American media. You're quite right. Uh, as for the Germans, well, uh, you know, I know the Germans. I lived there five years myself. Uh, I'm not going to say I, I, some of my best friends are German, even though they are, but they caved. They caved in the 30s, and they're caving again. My God, their leaders are prepared to let their industry flounder and their people freeze just because the U.S. says, no, don't take Russian gas. And besides, you can't take it now because we're sabotaging the gas lines. Ha, ha, ha. Now. Will the, will the Germans, when they start to freeze to death, will they, will they rise up? Will they act like, uh, like human beings and say, well, you know, we don't have to take this stuff? That remains to be seen. I still have some hope they will. When people start freezing, they do uh, unordinary things, according to the Germans. What was the other thing you're, you're talking about here? Uh, well, the, the, the thing is the, the media. Now, as you know, Gary, I've coined this expression uh, to represent how the military-industrial complex has evolved since Eisenhower. It's become the Mickey Mat, okay? Uh, rhymes with Mickey Mouse, sort of. It means military-industrial-congressional-intelligence-media-academia-think-tank complex. Why do I say Media, as if in all caps. Well, because media is a linchpin. 
If they keep this information from the American public, strange things happen, and the Americans believe <laughs> they follow um, Will Rogers' dictum. You know, Will Rogers used to say, here's the problem. The problem ain't what people know. The problem is what people know ain't so. That's the problem. Now, what am I referring to? Six straight years of blackening Putin, blackening the Russians, starting out with the charge that they hacked into the Democratic National Committee and got Trump elected. Um, my wife always says, look, Ray, tell them, tell them, make sure you tell them what you think of Trump. What I think of Trump is this. He's the very worst president we ever had. And I've been saying that before January 6th. OK, but you know what? What they did was accused Trump of cavorting with the Russians. And uh, there was not a speck of evidence that he was. Now, here's an example. Here's an egregious example. The head of the cyber firm that James Comey, the head of the FBI, deferred to to look at the so-called Russia hack into the DNC, his name is Sean Hendry. He was brought to testify under oath to the House Intelligence Committee, mind the date here, December 5th, 2017. What did he say? Quote, there is no technical evidence that the Russians or anyone else hacked into the DNC, end quote. Whoa. What did, what did Schiff, the head of the House Intelligence Committee, do? He sat on it. For how long? For 29 months. Then he was forced to release it. The date was May 7th, 2020. Now, did you read that in the New York Times, the Washington Post? Namely, that the head of the cyber firm said there was no evidence of a Russian hack? No, you haven't. How long has it been since May 7, 2020? 29 months. <laughs> so the New York Times has outdone Adam Schiff in keeping secret the whole genesis of this Russiagate business, the reason why Obama threw out 35 Russian diplomats, the reason why they tried to prevent, or the, the evidence they used, in quotes, they tried to prevent Trump from being elected and then emasculated him once he was elected because of his cavorting with Russia. You know, that's all a crock, as we used to say in the Bronx. People don't know that. I dare say you take a sample. 80 percent of people, the American people, believe that the Russians hacked into the uh, DNC are responsible in some way for our four years of Donald Trump, and what could be more insidious than accuse anyone of being responsible for Donald Trump? Since you were in the intelligence agencies for 27 years, you had access to other agents. You had access to meetings where people discussed whether they had a hypothesis or something more grounded to make decisions like weapons of mass destruction. And we know that that was a lie. We know that uh, uh, Scooter Libby, the Vice President uh, Cheney's uh, chief of staff, was convening meetings in the vice president's office and cherry picking CIA people who would back them up and creating this false narrative. And 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 yet the entire intelligence commu community stayed silent about this, which was, you know, shame on them. But now now we have 51 
of the leaders of all the intelligence agencies. That means not just the heads of the National Security Agency, like Clapper or the CIA. Uh, what we have is we have their top deputies all signing a letter stating that, for example, that the COVID vaccine could not have occurred in a laboratory. It had to come from natural xenotic uh, sources. That was all a lie. Not a single one of them has been reprimanded, fired, uh, or not one of them has apologized. So what does that tell you about we being able to trust anything that comes from any of our intelligence agencies or those at the State Department, the Defense Department, the Pentagon, and many of the other agencies that have been fully captured by special interest groups. Your thoughts, please. Yes, uh, Gary, there used to be, well, there was a time back in the day, as they say, when there were two CIAs, <clears throat> one for analysis, which could tell it like it was, at least on Russia and the Soviet Union. And that, that was the vineyard in which I labored. And then the operations people. Uh, under Bill Casey and Bobby Gates, that was all corrupted. The uh, analysis people sit now together with the operations people. They plan the targeting of drones and stuff like that, and they fit right in with the propaganda organs. So no longer do we have two agencies. We just have one which has been thoroughly corrupted. Now, with respect to those 51 former leaders like Clapper and others, you know, they pronounced in October of 2020, right before the election, they said that they knew that the Hunter laptop story was suspicious, that it had all the earmarks, their words, of a Russian operation, and it should be dismissed. Um, it was consistent with the way the Russians treat things. The Russians wanted to blacken Biden. Total made up stuff total crock. Now, you, as you say, did these 51 uh, get dismissed or even chastised or even criticized? Of course not, because they would do it on the, pe on the behalf of the mainstream media who really didn't want Trump to win. Now, could Trump have won if it was proven that what that stuff on the, on the Hunter's laptop was true, namely that Joe himself was profiting from this cavorting with China, among others? Who knows? But, you know, if you talk about interference in elections, <laughs> you got the major culprits here are the Russians in 2000, uh, the Democrats in 2016 and the Democrats again in 2020. I just wonder what's going to happen in the midterms now, because the American people are oblivious to all this, all this kind of thing. And it's going to be interesting, not only politically, but also with respect to what U.S. policy towards Ukraine will take, what direction it will take as a result of the midterms. Uh, we have, as I said, Democrats as well as Republicans saying, is this really a good idea to give billions and billions of dollars to, to Ukraine when our people are suffering? I mean, the, the people that I follow in terms of morality uh, have a preferential option for the poor, okay, not for the military industrial complex. And actually, uh, Catholic doctrine, although it's not that well known, says that uh, no one, and this is a quote, no one is entitled to accumulate still more of what he or she doesn't need when others lack the rudimentary necessities of life, period, end quote. We're a far cry from that. 
We pretend to be a Christian nation. We're far from it. Ray, thank you very much for coming on and sharing your insights. We certainly appreciate it. You're most welcome. My guest, Ray McGovern. Thank you all for listening to the Progressive Commentary Hour. Have a nice day.